Welcome everybody to That Round It podcast. So, a uh, little introduction firstly on the episode. Uh, we don't know, I don't know personally what this is right now. Uh, we also know Mike is uh, not here right now. Uh, Tops is not here right now. I'm doing this uh, on my own with my lovely guest, which I'll introduce in a minute. Uh, we are planning on starting season three soon-ish, but we don't have a hard date. But in the meantime, we're doing some lovely off-season interviews with some lovely people in the Roundup community to uh, talk about some important stuff. Uh, today, which brings me on to my guest, and today I have the lovely Jack Collard with me, who, for those that don't know, is head of British Roundnet, has been for five years, Nod your head if I'm missed on the wrong. Hey, here we go. For five years. Four, four. And four, damn. Four years. Um, yeah, it's behind a lot of the stuff that uh, I am very appreciative of. When I come back to Britain, I continue to see the growth. And he's also the man behind the world's 2024 bid that we're going to talk about a little bit more today. So, uh, first of all, Jack, welcome to the podcast. I hope you are doing very well. Yeah, I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, super excited just to just to chat through this uh, stuff it might help me work work things out a little bit more and just so <laughs> i can use you as a as a sounding board to work out what's actually going on but no i'm joking um no, all good <laughs> that's not what i do that's what i do when i'm doing yeah. podcasts with preston and stuff or fred with the unknown depth just talking stuff through it helps so much when you yeah. think about when you think back to it so yeah. well that's a lot the last thing you want to hear is is you know the the guy that's trying to run world championships terry that he's still working it out and it's six months away <laughs> but uh, that's also we're, uh, true. Yeah, we're we're on we're on target. Anyway, I'll, I'll let you. Let you no, that's good stuff. <laughs> uh, I think the first question, right, is when probably what most people are thinking is, how does this bid process work? Like, as an NGB, we've obviously experienced the first World Championship 2022 in Belgium. Uh, unbelievable experience, right? I believe 32 or 33 countries, if I'm not mistaken, who took part in the event. And then after that event, was it then like a thought in your head, like we want to bid for this? When did you know of the bidding process? So how did sort of the very first stage of bidding for Worlds 2024 start? It was it was at the event, so it <laughs> was. Um, so I I was very lucky um, to be able to go with. I wasn't part of our team GB, but I spent the whole um weekend and, and week there with them um in Belgium watched them all perform amazingly um and just as the as the week went on um more and more I was like we could do this we could do we could do this we could do we could do some admit. um and just seeing how amazing the event was how many people came together communities coming together countries coming together for the first time you know it's um it's been said loads before, but I will say it again. Like it, it, it was the first time that we've had that many countries in one place, and it just was amazing. And from seeing that, I was like, I want to do the next one. I want British Ryan to host the next one. Um, so uh, on the final evening, there was an after party, um, and I'm pretty sure I spoke to Frey and uh, Jack Scotty. And Brain like, Eskens, who was the main yeah, guy behind, yeah. yeah, brains behind the world's twenty-two, and and Jack Scotty, of course, former Spikeball employee, and now still on yeah. the IRF board. Yeah, yes, yeah. Um, I I spoke to them, uh, and I just said to them at that after party, I was like, "So when when can I bid? Uh, when when can Britain put a bid in?" Um, 
and he said oh you know we're, we're still working out but it will be pretty soon after we we get back and i was like okay cool um went to bed that night woke up and then i think uh, i'll probably forgot about it for a, for a week or so and then um a week later the pretty much a week later they were very good in getting the information out um or a few weeks later the information about bidding came out so the irf sent an email to all the ngbs and just said if you want to bid put a bid in fill out this form and you can you can add in you know documents and all that kind of stuff um showed it to the british roundnet team and i just said look guys i i think we can do this and i think we could put on a really amazing event um and so yeah we all worked together to sort of pulled together some initial ideas about venue and you know where we could do it in britain had a little brainstorm about what it would look like you know what we would champion what what would it stand for and what would it mean to us to actually host the world championships like you know what what kind of ripple effect could mm-hmm. us britain hosting world championships actually have on roundnet in our country put all that into a nice pdf sends it over to the irf and and that's how the kind of that's how the first stage anyway of the of the bidding process kind of was born and 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 how it happened and that that first bid that we put in i think it's probably one of the proudest um pieces of content that i think we've put together for me at at britain not not only just because it, it eventually won which is great but also just the amount of effort and work that went into it to get quotes, initial quotes, to get um, thoughts on venues, to get all this content together to make it come together as what we wanted it to be. So was all so was all that gathered then from the, the date from the final day of World 2022 to a week after? Yeah. All of that information was gathered up until november 2022 so we had about a couple of months to to collect all that data together um you could have submitted quite like a um they only wanted like a stage one bid so it didn't have to be super detailed um but i was very much of the opinion that the more detail that we can give at this stage even though it's it's two years away the more detail and the more sort of visionary we can be at this stage then the you know the better likelihood there is about getting through to the next stage um so yeah it was a two-stage process um we got through the first stage um and the irf then came back to us and said um that there was a couple of other bidders um in the in the mix who'd made it through stage one um including do you know how many the... do you know how many uh bids there were in total is that or is okay. that disclosed information uh unsure unsure i i'm i'm not being tactical um i it might <laughs> it, it might be uh confidential information i don't i don't know but i know that um there was three what was us in france that got through to stage two there might have been another country um that Mm -hmm. that through but i don't i i can't quite remember but anyway we got through to the second stage and they said um we need more information um now's your chance to submit a detailed bid um with you know and this was january time um january 2023 time and they said put together a detailed bid um you know give us your final venue because in that first bid we only put you put like two or three venues in i think or three venues we went with just to give the irf an option to see what we were thinking about and then they're like right pick a venue go and get your formal and final quotes for how much things would cost and and the other stuff that you'll do um 
and come back to us with a with a formal stage two bid. So yeah, that was January through March 2023, and then submitted that, and then kind of cross your fingers time really. Wow. Okay. So it happens that yeah, it was yeah. I mean, do how much do you know about you and uh, France? If you as the two countries then got through to the stage two of the process, how much do you know? Did you know anything about uh, uh, France's and I think in particular Paris's, uh, you know, application? Did you, you know, did you did you know anything about it? Like, how can I improve what they're already offering, or was it just you know you had a blind saying, hey, what this is the best I can do, and I hope it's enough. Yeah, I do, I don't think any of us actually ever saw the formal bid from Roundnet France. I don't think either of us made the bid, made our bid like public. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, oh, we might. I think we made our stage one bid public. Um, but yeah, I, I not at any stage did we see anyone else's bid. It was very much a kind of this is how we think this is going to go, and we think we're good. So and we think we're good enough to do it. So here it is. If you like it or you don't like it, let us know. <laughs> um, so and to be honest, it was probably good that we didn't see the the French um, bid purely because it just meant that we were. Um, you know, we we were being authentic. We were doing what we wanted to do. We weren't responding to what other people thought. And um, you know, it, it was probably better that it, they were separated. And the IRF did a really good job in sort of managing us. And and the whole process was was very um, smooth, albeit quick, from September mm-hmm. to March. But it has to be quick. You know, when you're running these events on a two year basis, those kinds of processes processes do need to be really quick. And I'm sure it will be similar um, in you know after this one in 2024. I'm sure the the bidding the bidding uh, process will be open pretty sharpish after that one. So if anyone yeah. is and is and is thinking that they want to host 2026, then sharpen your pencils and get ready to start writing. A little side uh, so that, that sort of rises a nice side topic in regards to: Do you think the next World Championship will be outside of Europe? And if not, then when do you think the first world championship would or should be outside of Europe? And uh, yeah, and where that place would be if you do think that 2026 is the first place for it to be outside of Europe? Just a I don't know, random question has gone across yeah, my head a few it's times. A great question. It's a great question. Um, I think it's good that it has remained in Europe this time around, um, purely because of the number of countries that, that Europe can... Um, uh, market itself to um, and just the, the international connections of it however um, I wouldn't be opposed to it going outside of Europe in 2026 um, if Europe have had it two, two times then you know plenty of countries have come all over the world twice in a row now to to, to get that far and to come over to Europe so if it was to go to South America, North America, or Asia, um, then you know, so so be it. I think it the the World Championships is a great event to champion all that is good about Roundnet, and for it to be in a different continent, particularly a continent that requires maybe a bit more growth in terms of Roundnet, World Championships might be a great lever, um, you know to do that to get more growth in that continent area it's just important that whoever does host it um 
you know, has the ability and, and the expertise to be able to do it and pull it off, which is obviously why the bidding process is a thing. But if there was a strong bid that came from, from Asia or, or, or even Africa, um, then you know, why not? I think it, it should really go to whoever puts together, um, you know, the best bid. There may be something to be said about doing a, you know, changing continent every every two years or every every year has to be a different continent or or whatever. Um, but I th think at this point, you know, our national governing bodies aren't developed enough that we're able, we have the luxury to be able to say it has to be in a different continent next year or next time. Um, I think the IRF just need to look through um, the bids that they get. And uh, and hopefully we'll see a bid from a from a place that's a little bit further away from Europe next time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think obviously the majority of the thirty three, thirty five countries that will be attending World, you know, the majority of them are in Europe, and therefore if you if and we're still in the point where we're not gaining any money from the sport, so it's tough to uh, say you know you want to minimize that cost for athletes, and if it's only eight countries having to travel like a long way then that's a lot less than if you have it in Asia and you potentially have, you know, 30 countries traveling a long way. So it's also the yeah. development of different NGBs around the world and 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 also new NGBs coming. But if you never give it to them, as you said, uh, quite rightly, then you might not see as much growth as you could get in that area of the world. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think in, in, oh, sorry, I was just going to nip in on no, was interesting on um, the, you know, the aspect of travel, um, which is obviously the biggest expense for for those countries that are further away from the championships where wherever they are in the future and, and now um is that other sports you know comparing to even olympic sports you know there are there are olympic weightlifters that uh have to crowdfund their way to get to the olympics you know from yeah. from countries including including the uk um it's not just um countries where sport may be less developed or that sport is particularly less developed um lots and lots of athletes um particularly in the olympics are are funding crowdfunding themselves to get to championships and and world championships and olympic events um because their governing body doesn't have the funds to be able to to um you know to, to get them there so i think we can't always be limit ourselves by saying um you know well we can't put it there because it's, it's too, no get too far away. It's too expensive. It's too, it's too expensive. Um, because the round net community are, are clever and they'll think of ways to, to raise the money if they, if they need to, to be able mm -hmm. to, to get some, um, and, and not incentivize yeah, them, right? To incentivize them, to in, incentivize them, not just players, but NGBs and clubs and, you know, and yeah, yeah, yeah. with it. Yeah, and and you know the IRF did a really great scheme um, last time round for Belgium, where I know they helped a few different countries with um, like reducing their entry fee because of like the cost of travel to get there. Um, all, all those little things that they could do, um, I think, are, are great, and we just need to try and amplify those, uh, you know, those opportunities and those kind of grants and things like that that are available to countries that where it's further away to get to. Um, events or where the ngb is less developed yeah yeah I, I totally agree and and because at the end of the day just the event itself 
is so much more important than the results. Like, of course, everyone cares about the results, but you know, just, yeah, yeah. as as me, Mike, and uh, Gavin mentioned after the first World Championship, like the biggest thing that came from this World Championship is setting the foundation for every NGB to go. Damn, there's going to be another one in two years' time. All right, let's get our yeah. club system sorted. Let's get our player growth sorted. Let's get X Y Z sorted. Marketing team and oh, okay, grow the sport. Like it gave people a thing to look forward to and also emphasize the importance of the sport itself. So that that's the biggest thing that, you know, even the next two, three world championships, it will be the same story. As much as the results are fun and cool and big, big time, but like it's, it, for the, if, if we're looking at bigger perspective and the growth of Roundnet, like just having the event is the, is the catalyst for so much in Roundnet. And, and that was what our bid was based off of, you know, our bid was based off of the fact that this will leave a legacy for Roundnet in Great Britain. You know, we really played on the fact and believe in the fact that the fact that this World Championships is coming to Great Britain, that will leave a legacy mark for our sport to grow way faster here than if we didn't have the World Championships. Um, you know, we already had interest from... Um, larger um, sports bodies and sports teams and clubs and things all because of the fact that this world championship is coming to great britain none of that would have happened had we not been given the opportunity and the honor to host the world championships in in 2024 and i think we were able to say in our bid and and you know i can confirm that it's, it's already starting is that this world championships will leave a legacy of of a growth of round there in in uh in the uk and in, in great britain um you know i'm now able to go to the uk sport who are the governing association of sports in uk um like the uk government effectively and say look we're hosting a world championships and suddenly they turn their head suddenly they notice round there and suddenly notice this really cool inclusive exciting sport that not many other sports that are currently in the uk because the UK is very traditional when it comes to sports, Three. football, yep. cricket. Um, yep. Suddenly they turn their heads and go, oh, this is a bit different. This is something that's, that's exciting. Oh, and you're hosting a world championships. Oh, and you know, 1,500 people are coming. Wow. You know, suddenly that creates a bit of a ripple. Whereas if I was to go to them without the world championships and say, look at our sport, it's great. And they say, well, how many people are playing? And we go, well, you know, there's, there's you know, six seven hundred people playing and they're just playing amongst themselves that's really it then they go oh, yeah that's whatever but if i can say yeah we've got a world yeah we can go, go world championships they they notice well and also the fact that you know even if they're skeptical in any way shape or form you can go oh yeah and look at the first world championship 2022 and you now have that massive huge great uh example to go look 33 countries look you know over a thousand athletes look what yeah. an incredible event there's so much footage or a lot not maybe a lot but you know there's a decent amount of footage and um and stories from that championship so just such a great that you get to use that as a example and reference as well when talking to these um yeah. potential sponsors potentially yeah, governing bodies or you know government it's it's great for you yeah. as well look, <laughs> yeah and, and just like come and watch you know i can say i can now say to uh, Mr. Government or Mrs. Government or whoever it is, come and yeah, you know, if you want to see the difference that this event will make, or just the number of people, or the atmosphere, 
or just how the sport is played, come yeah. down, have a ticket, come and watch. And it's happening twenty eighth of August to the first September twenty twenty four. And yeah, come and watch. Yeah, yeah, no, yes, one hundred percent for sure. I mean, yeah, it's a great point, great point. I'd love to dive into your mind, although I can probably predict the answer as most people can. Um, of the day of your bid being accepted and GB being yeah, accepted to host the um, yeah. the World Championships. So tell me, on the day of, did you know, was there a date that it would be announced or was you just waiting for an answer and then suddenly you got hit with the uh, the response? How, how did the day sort of go about? Yeah. They were waiting on um, a bit of extra information from, I think, both ourselves in France. And then once we'd given it to the IRF, they then said, oh, we'll come back to you. Um, but there was there was no deadline of when that mm. when that might come back. There was no kind of this the date we're going to give you the the response. No. Um, I thought the email might have said, "Oh, we need more information," or you know, I, I wasn't expecting to see an email with a with a you know confirmation that we've got it. But yeah, mm. I think I guess really really quick background about me. I'm a I work full time in planning, a town planner, so I design like cities and streets and that kind of thing. Um, so I work full-time um, doing that as part of a big company. Um, and a lot of my round network is done outside of work hours, like after work, like now, or at lunch times, or you know, trying to squeeze bits and bobs in um, when I can. Um, and work have been really great and supportive about it. Um, and so on this particular day, I was sat in a meeting room in our work and I think it was um I think it was maybe six PM. It was like after work. I was just doing a bit of extra uh like round net stuff or I don't know, whatever. And I was sat there in this little meeting room and this email came through from the IRF and as I said, didn't expect it at all. Didn't expect an email from the IRF that day. Opened it and it just said, you know, we would be absolutely delighted if you were to host the twenty twenty four world championships and i genuinely burst out in tears like I, I could not believe it i was sat in that meeting room thank goodness there was no one else in the office because i was in there <laughs> sobbing for, for like a good two or three minutes just because it was the culmination of so much hard work from so many different people to get the bids to to that place and just so much back and forth and getting everything ready and i think also just the anticipation of of it all coming to that point um was yeah it just sort of over suddenly realized that actually we've got it and this is and this is happening it was just yeah it was it was an unreal unreal moment um and you know that moment it will stick with me for forever i think i i could i could not believe it and it was an absolute honor to be able to you know to get that um and a testament to everyone's hard work at, at british round net and you know all the all the various name changes that we've been through and 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 you know even going back to tom rogers former european champion um you know who who effectively founded um you know british round nets earlier version you know 5 years ago or 6 years ago alongside ruth Trounson. like all all of that is um mm -hmm. world championships is a testament to them as well for setting up you know at that point uk round net for us getting to this stage now and and you know me sitting in front of that computer and receiving that email is 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 also because of them so it was just everything coming together and you know it happening probably a lot of those tears were actually me going 
oh my god we've actually got to host it now and now we're actually <laughs> like doing the work um, fan her out yeah 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 um but yeah it was uh, mate, it was it was unreal amazing feeling that's uh, such a nice feeling it's like i i can't i can't the only way i can reference it is from a player's perspective because i obviously wasn't involved from a you know a board or an organizational perspective and just from a player perspective of course being you know on team gb myself and obviously this is my now subjective opinion coming on this very you know subjective slash sometimes objective podcast but i was so delighted when obviously british round got got the bid in just regards of you know it's like a world cup in football how many times yeah. firstly does the world cup get to be hosted in your country very very rarely and let's say you know brigands gets it now but when will be the next time that Britain hosts this world championship? You're in the big advantage just every two years. But on the other hand, think about how many other countries are going to want to post this world championship over the next 10, 15, 20 years. So you might not be one of them. So the fact that like we get to host it um, and and you be able to like, you know, be part of that and me to be able to potentially play in that, like, wow, like, you know, I could be, I could have been 45 when we got the bid, you know, and I'd just be able to come as a fan, you know, go crazy and support yeah. everyone who's playing. <laughs> but, but now I actually get to play it, you know, and it's just, um, you know, that's just from my point of view, how much, how much joy was fulfilled or filled in me when I saw that Britain was uh, hosting the event because, you know, I have so many family and friends there in London and, you know, heard of, you know, round and been like, oh yeah, that's, that's cool. Well, yeah, they hey, just yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, Carl, and hey, end of August, start of September. There's a few days you can come watch and watch some round that, see what it's all about. Like it's a 20 minute drive for a lot of you guys, and you know, come come and watch it. And now it's like you know, once in a lifetime sort of event. Um, so yeah, I, I can I, only. I resonate a lot with what you say there in terms of you know you mentioned to people ah oh, yeah I do I do round net or I help out with round net or whatever. And they're like, oh yeah, we did a world championship, you know, two years ago. It was great. And they're like, oh, that's, yeah, that's cool. That's nice. That's yeah, nice. Yeah. Uh, and then like, and then now that the this bids come through and we're hosting the world championships, I'm now actually saying to them, look, we're we're actually hosting world championships. Come and watch it and see it. And and I think it's definitely, um, you know, hopefully lots of people in the UK. And as I said, it comes back to the legacy point. Lots of people in the UK and GB will actually realise how big the uh round that community is um their basics on like a global scale just because of the interest in the event but also just the number of countries that we're going to get there um but yeah i i really hope that people will start to kind of turn around and stop and realize that this sport is it is growing and it is bigger than some official sports in the uk you know there, there are official sports yeah. in the uk with player bases that are far far smaller than um uh, than Roundnet, and that's not to say that their sport is any less um, valid than Roundnet at all. Mm -hmm. That's just to say that you know Roundnet's growth has been crazy over the last you know, two, three years, particularly as a result of these World Championships. Um, and so, yeah, for, we we can now you know, start seeing ourselves as not a small sport, but actually a, an international, you know, small to medium-sized sport. That has yeah. you know a big following and and yeah and it's a huge potential yeah yeah and a, and a huge potential exactly that exactly that and you know you mentioned Team GB and we'll be we'll be releasing our um, selection kind of policy and and guidelines and rules and everything for that over the next couple of weeks so if there's anyone that is from GB 
listening and they're interested in getting on the squad, then keep your eyes open for uh, for our selection um, policy coming out in the next couple of weeks because it will give you all the details you need to know to, to hopefully play in a home World Cup. In, indeed. Uh, that actually transitions really nicely onto a little bit of the format changes that we're mm. going to see at this World Championship because uh, I'm sure a lot of people have been following the IRF updates and if they haven't, they get a little bit of uh, some updates now. But the first thing that catches my eye and it catches a lot of people's eye, eyes is that there will be five men's squads and five women's squads competing. And that's obviously yeah. an increase from the five men's squad and the three women's squad that we had in 2022. So how much was you as the host or the country who's hosting the world championships involved with these decisions? Or was it mainly the IRF and you didn't have too much say? Yeah, um, to be fair, it's all IRF. Um, it, they, they have um, they asked us to make sure that we're you know we'd be able to host that many extra teams, um, and you know we'd be prepared for it and have enough space, all that kind of stuff. But these initiatives and the schedule changes are are all driven by the IRF, and we've been um, they've had a chat with us about them, but we've been really supportive of of pretty much all of the changes that they've suggested to the. Um, the format and the way that things run um i think um the irf have been really really great support in to us in terms of helping this this event move um particularly frey eskens who ran the 2022 belgium world championships now him being on the irf side um he's leading uh sort of organizing worlds from irf's perspective and me and him are talking regularly to make sure things are up straight and they're they're great in terms of helping out with the schedule and formatting and we're very much um leaving the yeah schedule formatting side of things and and actually the kind of how the event runs its course very much Mm -hmm. up to the irf um which is quite nice because it's one less thing to think about worry about yeah you know questions about yeah and answer questions about and um it just means that we can focus on hosting um and they focus on you know how the event will run in terms of who seats where and and yeah. you know how things move um our um obviously we'll have to be in touch with the IRF close to the time about pitches and how if this person wins here then where do they play next and and working with the RF on that perspective um but yeah they they're pretty much in charge of and looking after the way that the tournament will flow, which is which is really really helpful. It means that they set us a set of parameters that we need to fit in with, and we're just making sure that everything's ready for when the IRF turn up. That it's all there for them to to kind of help deliver the actual running of the event. Mm-hmm. No, that's good to know. I think that's also good for it to know for a lot of people. Uh, if we deep dive a little bit more into the format, then just because it's good for people to be updated with the changes that are mm-hmm. happening in in London 2024 is that uh, so, so first of all we have a four-day event uh, this is also all information is available on the IRF website for those that are looking for more information uh, but Thursday we're going to have Thursday 29th of August that is we have the group stage individual the bracket stage individual and the mixed individual final uh, from what I believe this isn't too different from what we had in 2022 the big difference in regards to the individual competition is that each country are going to have two squads in each the women's division, the men's division, and the mixed division. 
Whereas in 2022, we had mixed on the first day and each country had one team, yeah. one squad. And then we had the individual competition of which every team competed in. And then that yeah. individual uh, competition made to help the seeding for the squad tournament on the last two days of the tournament. So I think this is, this is quite a big difference, especially in regards to two individual teams per country, because, you know, as, as we obviously want for more countries to gain more depth, gain more quality and quantity over the coming years, this is probably going to stretch a few squads quite deep or quite thin, I should say, because, you know, if you want to have your best men's teams, well, they also, you're probably, you know, they could be your best individual players and therefore you're taking that away from your best mixed team that you could be representing your country with. And so you need, you know, four male players and, sorry, five, six male players. Six males players will make up those two teams, oh, those three teams, three teams, four teams, four teams. Sorry, I'm working out this really weirdly. I know, I know, I know. Two, two men's teams, four players, and then you've got two also playing on the mixed teams. And then same with the female. You've got two female teams. And, you know, for a lot of countries and nations, they're obviously going to want their best mixed teams, best female teams, best male teams. But with it being two female teams and then two mixed teams, it's like, ah, do we prioritize the mixed division? And then have it maybe our, you know, our, our four and five seed play together in the women's individual competition and have our one and two best females play in the mixed or do we go one two three four all in the female division and then put five and six with our one and two men or our five and six men they're the questions and that's you know the joy of it yeah um that's uh obviously a lot of countries it will be prioritizing and also how do they want to perform are they prioritizing mix are they prioritizing women's males um and then also the players like what do the players want to do the players want to prioritize the 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 male or the you know the men's open or they want to prioritize the mixed it's it's a nice cool dynamic that they're adding to the tournament um but yeah that's yeah. obviously going to be on the on the Thursday yeah and i th- i think that um element gives a little bit more um not not power but more uh, decision-making responsibility to national governing bodies to really think about how they put together their um, national teams. Not that they weren't before, but mm-hmm. there's a whole layer now of of what governing bodies do and how they select and choose their players, and as you say, seed them for different um, for the different uh, aspects of that Thursday. Um, but you know, I think it's a great move in terms of giving us a group stage um for squads which i think was personally i felt um really missed out on in on 2022 and is a great learning from 2022 i think um that introducing that group stage um for mm. squads because it's it's um people want to play those those squad events are the the country versus country where everyone's involved um people want to play more of that um, yeah. players want to play more of that um, I know that from speaking to them and the feedback like for, for at least from GB perspective players want to play more of that that squad versus squad where you're all together um, and we, having we, and just to, just to look day. back on and just to have a quick look back on yeah. like other events since then that have had squad events and had huge success obviously the American Spikers League here in the US yeah. and also the European Championships that occurred in Padova, Italy just this summer, like both were huge successes in regards to the format of the events. 
yeah yeah and and i think um yeah IRF have done very well to respond to that and to introduce this into the schedule um for for 2024 um yeah i think it's only a positive thing that we've got this that we've got this group stage and um yeah it's, it's going to be yeah it's going to be great mm -hmm. yeah and and so obviously that group stage individual is for the all day thursday and then just the women's and men's individual final takes place on the friday at the same time as the group stage squad is then going to so that's going to be the big day for a lot of you know squads and a lot of players in regards to getting a good seeding in your group yeah and then on to saturday of course where then you start having knockout um and bracket squad stages so i mean that's and then, and then the Sunday to end it off, you have the men's squad final and the women's squad final. I think it's just a, yeah, it's, it's great how we're touching on all the bases, you know. Mix has given its own, I mean, if I'm honest, I did love Mixed in regards to 2022. Just one team and everyone yeah. was involved, everyone was watching it. There's maybe a little bit of that emphasis that's gone away from Mixed now with it being alongside the individuals of the men's and women's. But on the other hand, it's, it's still there and it still has the opportunity to have its own place to shine. Um... But yeah, it's it's now awesome that yeah more squad is introduced as well as if I'm not mistaken the squads are going to be combined so it's not just men's and then women's it's also men's and women's make up one squad which was obviously yeah. very different from how it was in 2022 where you had the male side and oh the males came third and the females oh the females won it and you know you just had a first and a third place finish instead of being oh look you had you came you know second overall or fourth overall which is more like you know as the olympics um which is also cool in my opinion i think that's a good way to do it it's also a great way to incentivize more countries and ngbs to help grow the women's scene that we already know is you know the ratio of men to women is um not to say overwhelming but disproportionate to say the least um of males and females in the sport right now so it's good that it's that way and also with five women squad that also uh, emphasizes more NGBs to grow that woman's side within their country, which is, I think, great news. Um, yeah, there's a bit more uh, information. Spikeball being the sponsor um, of the World Championship. I know the Premier Spike also put in a bid, um, but I believe Spikeball could make a better package deal in regards to offering not just the sets and equipment, but also just some of the stuff around it, uh, you know, banners, um, helping with the streaming, marketing, all the small things that accumulate to make up a big deal at the world championship how much did you know about that being again as the the hosting um ngb for the event yeah we, we were just weighing on word from the irf in terms of who their um title sponsor was going to be they let us know that they were looking for a title sponsor and just to hold tight basically to um to to hear about who that title sponsor was going to be um so that was um yeah from you know, it's only been confirmed fairly recently, but that that was ongoing since we received the positive news sort of middle of last year um, to uh, yeah recently. Um, and then, yeah, we received the news that Spikeball got it. And yeah, as you say, good help um, in terms of how they're going to support the event. Um, and yeah, I know that they're providing... Um, uh, finances in terms of actual monetary sponsorship of the event um, and that is being provided to us through the IRF um, and like without those initial finances we wouldn't be able to put down deposits for example um, mm -hmm. for accommodation or deposits for catering for the players and things like that which are all um, expensive 
upfront deposit costs that as a national governing body we couldn't cover um without you know without upfront funds um to to pay for it um obviously we would be able to cover the payment when it actually happens when people have signed up but that's not until july and yeah and so caterers can't wait you know they need a deposit to confirm that it's actually going ahead and i'm not joking that there's a that there's a world championship we're not scamming that um so yeah it's been it's been very helpful to have those you know that that cash income through the irf like it wouldn't we wouldn't be able to put the event on without it um Mm -hmm. so yeah um yeah spike with the sponsor as you say provide those banners and and uh yeah we'll be working on um the stream with them as well this year um and that's all progressing really nicely so yeah that's looking good nice nice and then to move more on to sort of from your perspective about the organization of the event what are some of like the biggest hurdles that you're tackling right now i mean we are is january 24th the day of recording this so we've got a nice you know eight month period before the event which sounds like a lot of time but you know it's going to come around and me and you're going to be looking at each other on that field in eight months time like yo let's do it i know i know i know yeah, what are sort of the biggest uh, hurdles or the, or the, right now on on the on the on the task board as to say and task board is is big uh <laughs> it isn't that one i'll tell you that um <laughs> yeah task board is big uh but that's a good thing um i had a um a kickoff meeting earlier today with um some of the volunteers the key volunteers who were helping out on more like the operations side of the event um and you know i said to them look if the event was happening next month, we could do it. We have we have the accommodation booked, we have the catering booked, and we have the pitches booked. It wouldn't be a very good event, and there wouldn't be any streaming, and there wouldn't be any ec- bells and whistles. But if everyone turned up in Great Britain next month for a World Championships, we could do it. Um, it would be a bit disorganised, so please don't actually turn up next month um, <laughs> to World Championship. But and so I, I just said I just said to volunteers who are like leading on certain aspects um and like certain tasks i just said anything we do now is is effectively a bonus um like on top on top of what we've got streaming um which we which we really need to do um and sort of sign posting and and things like that anything extra that we now do is a bonus putting in a fan zone putting up the big screens um you know putting up like country flags everywhere, organizing um, bells and whistles, all the bells and whistles. Like, it's all the bells and whistles. But the thing is, the bells and whistles are what t- take this event from just being another, um, you know, event that's been put together by a national governing body to the World Championships. It, it's those bells and whistles that really turn this from yeah, some something far smaller to you know, the most important event in, in the around that world. Um, yep. So you know. No pressure, guys. Uh, but I know you can do it. Um, and yeah, there we've got a really great team working on it. Um, and I think whilst the task list is big, we've got a great team, and they're split at the task between them. Um, I think in terms of on actually answering the question this time, um, the biggest task for us so far um, has probably been uh, just working out the catering um, for. How do you feed 800 players, or potentially 800 players, or it's like 700 players? Um, we're all every time we book something, we're always always using like a maximum possible like value. So 
at the, at the moment it, we're predicting 40 countries with 20 ish players each um some might may bring more because of the way that you can you, know, you don't have to have your squads don't have to be those that you submit into your individual um tournament on the thursday so there might be countries that bring a couple more but on the whole mm -hmm. i think most countries will bring about 20 22 players so we're thinking about 800 players and so we go well how do you get 800 players through eating in in like one like two hour period um particularly for a location that it's not it's not a holiday park like it's not which is where it was in 2022 which was great for they're used to feeding lots of people um and quite quickly um it's it's a you know professional sports facility who do have on-site kitchens because they do conferences and big events and things like that but not feeding yeah, 800 people yeah um so we've just been working through with them we think we found a good solution um and it, it would just require a bit of clever scheduling and and you know a bit of patience perhaps from from some players um but i think that that's been pretty much worked through um so now it's uh it's lots and lots of kind of little tasks i guess which make everything what it is you know putting up the yeah. streaming as I said, getting the banners getting the like where do people park talking to the health and safety committee talking to the council um you know we're we're also looking at, at doing um community outreach as well in the month or so before the event so excitingly we're going to be um doing spectator tickets for the world championships That's cool. um pretty sure that this will be the first ever event round that event that has had spectator tickets um certainly on this side of um europe pretty sure um why no i don't know uh, because again it's just a way of formalizing um the sport legitimizing the sport um and bringing a bit more money into the event as well in terms of like mm -hmm. if you want to if, if you want a program then and like a little goodie bag which is what we intend to give to attendees then it needs to be paid for somehow and we don't have the money to pay for it so we're going to ask people who are attending who are spectators who are outside of the core squad so like a manager and like a plus one and then the squad of players spectators then have to pay like a really nominal fee like covering the cost of printing of a program and yep. like a t-shirt or a badge or something like a little giveaway item yep. um Again, as I say, just to legitimize and we can also then track spectators as well. So we'll be able to ask spectators to sign up online and then we'll know on Thursday, likely there'll be less people there because it's a weekday. Um, but then on Saturday and Sunday, it might be 100 spectators. There might be 150, there might be 200, but then we can you know, work out what safeguards we need in place to make sure you know people can park. Really boring things like that. People can park safely yeah, yeah, yeah. and people have enough food uh like the food vendors are ready for them and all, all that kind of stuff um so that's super exciting being able to offer spectator tickets and so back to the community outreach thing in the month before we're going to be giving away free tickets to local people um to come along so we'll do a little initiative that some of the money um that's coming in from players signups will go towards helping um uh, spectators um from the local area come and visit um it might be um like like school kids or we'll, we'll be giving away it won't be loads of tickets it will be like a very limited number haven't worked out how many yet but it will be a very very limited number of tickets it might be you know one school or two schools in the local area to try and encourage them to come and watch a world championships and just provide a really nice experience um and 
again, that harks back to this legacy thing that we're trying to work on with this World Championships and going actually, yeah, in the build-up to the event, we've gone out to three or four different schools in the area and said, we're hosting World Championships. You guys can come and watch it for free. You know, bring your parents, kids come along and watch it. And suddenly we've got another 200, 300 people interested in the sport and, and interested in, in round mm, yep. so, Um and, and the thing is, the more sponsors that we get, um, the more the more we can do that. Um, and so that's a great idea. We can talk about sponsorship separately um, in a different, like after this or in a different question, but um, the, the aim is that players, we're going to keep the cost down for players. So whatever, whatever players pay for, it is purely covering the costs of the event. Um, and then if there's any leeway in terms of what it cost in 2022, then we'll be using that extra money that players might sign up with for as i say community outreach or for um yeah to using, reinvest in the event yeah reinvest in the event and and to you know pay for streams and you know things like that yeah. um so yeah it's it's, it's uh lots going on so there, there's a few no, it's awesome yeah no I, that gives a good good uh a good uh a good amount of information for those who are wondering what it's like to host a world championship and to think about yeah. such things as parking and yeah you know yeah it's, it's so married <laughs> it's so exciting it's so glamorous it's so glamorous yeah there are things that need to be done in order for uh, an event to move exactly. efficiently people forget about yeah. that when the just you know event planners in general has that as a full-time job just you know forget about everyone thinks or sees the bells and whistles but they forget about uh, yeah the small things that go into it like that which isn't always the most fun thing to do but um just as important otherwise you can't have the bells and whistles well, no one can enjoy them because no one can park to get in the event. Um, yeah, we can park to, together, uh, exactly. Yeah. But, uh, so, so move on to the to the, sort of the last topic. Um, but to sort of conclude the episode, I think it'll be great to talk about what you just touched on in regard to sponsorship. Uh, how has the sponsorship uh, work gone so far? Uh, what has sort of been your, your, your plan of action to achieve sponsors for the event and what are you sort of hoping for from now up until the event in regards to sponsorship or outside entities being interested in coming and supporting the event yeah so um we've got a couple of small sponsors um who've been supporting british roundnet um uh, over the last couple of years that are interested in um providing some finance to help make the stream better or whatever and and the idea with these sponsors, um, once all the baseline costs are, are, are paid for um, off the back of um, the player signups, the idea is that all these sponsorships will then pay for, as you say, these extra bells and whistles or reinvestment in the sport for British Roundnet. Um, that's the beauty of the format that the IRF have in terms of this World Championships is that British Roundnet have a really great opportunity to bring in finances through sponsors to then set us up for for 2025, 2026, 2027. And I think that's the way big events like this should be used by national governing bodies. They should be used to to really, like to grow your national governing body and actually as an opportunity to make money. Um, and I'm not saying that, that we should charge hundreds of extra pounds to, to players to come and play. The players will always pay the cost price, but any sponsorships that we get on top once we've covered all our bells and whistles and we're happy, then I'm going to sponsors and I'm saying, look, if you sponsor the World Championship, you can have your presence there. You can have your banners all over the place. You can look great. But also, you'll be supporting 
us putting round net in 25 schools in 2025 next year you'll be helping you know, ten thousand pounds or um twelve thousand dollars twelve thousand euros if you if you sponsor us and you become a main sponsor of the world championships that means in 2025 british round net can hire a member of staff part-time for a year and suddenly that changes the game for us and yeah. that's the kind of leg thing that again I, I keep going back to is that that's the kind of thing that this world championships really can change the trajectory of how we operate as a national governing body it could mean that we have paid staff which would just be unbelievable and suddenly we would see our growth exponentially increase and that's why i think in 2026 i hope that the irf have 10 15 bids to go through because governing bodies see this as whilst it is a lot to undertake and to organize there's so much opportunity for national governing bodies to to earn money and raise capital to grow your national governing body um and so at the moment we are going through a process of becoming a charity so british roundnet is currently um like a member owned organization but we're about to convert into a charity still retain memberships but convert into a charity which means that all of our operations are non-profit mm-hmm. so all of the work that i've done that my Friends and and colleagues, I guess, uh, uh, and fellow volunteers at British Roundnet have done for the last four years has been completely unpaid, voluntary, all non-profit. So we've been acting as a charity for the last four years. We just haven't been called one. So mm-hmm. we submitted an application to become a charity, to become non-profit. Um, and that's another really big selling point for us to, to um, sponsors, is that if I go up to a um, a big corporate sponsor and say are you interested in sponsoring um, British Roundnet and we'd love to have your presence at our event your funds it won't go into my back pocket I'm not going away and buying a Lamborghini that money will go into a charity and it will be spent on making Roundnet better in Britain or making the event better um, and I think What's that, that is it's- if I'm not mistaken, it not not just that, but also if uh, they are would it be donating to a charity instead of a, a non-profit or just an organisation, sorry, then I'm pretty sure they that has certain tax implications for them as well. Meaning yep. that you know they have yeah, certain yeah. amount of they have you know if they're over a threshold, they can then donate that X amount to charity and then receive you know less tax implications as a company so they it gives them even more incentive to potentially sponsor this event versus if you was a organization um and expect correct yeah um, getting x amount of money yeah yeah um completely right um and yeah it just means that uh yeah that it, we are attractive as a as a organization to for companies to invest their money in because they want to be associated with such a exciting inclusive community-based event that we can you know this is something that you can promote to your customers or to your um you know your market your whether you sell cars or you you know sell bowls of water it doesn't matter like if you're um if you want to expose yourself to a, an awesome group of people but also be seen next to you know this unbelievable sport and this great event then come and get involved and, and come and have a chat with us. So yeah, we're just reaching out to lots of different companies. Um, at the moment, uh, we've, we're about to publish like a formal sponsorship document, which just 
basically lists out all the things that I've been talking about um, with different category sponsors. So for example, we're looking for a um, like a travel sponsor. We're looking for a hydration sponsor. We're looking for a um, nutrition sponsor. Um, so like category sponsors effectively mm-hmm. uh, to come and become premier partners of the event. And, and I'll just be sending targeted uh, emails and LinkedIn messages to um, you know, leaders of different businesses. And they don't have to be the biggest company. It's just those that are willing and interested to get involved with with us. And as long as their values, the values of that company align with British Roundnet and that of the, the IRF, then, um, you know, companies are more than welcome to get involved and, and you know, help us put on this this event. So, yeah, sponsorship is it's going good and, and hopefully over the next sort of two or three months we'll we'll nail down some some uh, exciting sponsors for people to you know get excited about hopefully yeah no that's awesome to hear and i'm sure if you know if anyone's um there's going to be primarily round net players and people and uh, you know ngb leaders and club leaders coaches listening to this podcast but you know some people everyone knows somebody so if you know maybe you're interested or maybe you know someone who might be interested yep. in uh, sponsoring the event you know reach out um it's always it's good down. to start exactly. early. Never be shy to send a cheeky DM. I've learned that over the past yep. and I recommend it. Um, but back to a uh, more serious note, um, or the first serious note is I do need to leave in a couple of minutes. I unfortunately have class, otherwise I'm sure we could have this conversation for a much longer period. Um, and on a second note, I would just say how much, yeah, it's been a blast to talk about this and Honestly, Jack, how much I truly appreciate all the work you do. And I think you're just a shining example of someone who puts in so much time and effort and not from a playing perspective. I know you play and you play a little bit, but like that's like very much far down on your round net hours to-do list. And it's just very inspiring and also just like, oh, Jack, very inspiring. And I'm very grateful Is it not just part of as a British round net member, but I mean, like you and people who are like you across other NGBs, it's it's so awesome to see so many people put so much dedication and passion into it, despite you know not not playing as much, but still having such a passion to drive from the other position, yeah. you know, from a, scoping it back and doing it from an NGB NGB perspective. So yeah, I love it, and 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 that's thank you very much. And the the big thing is for me is as you say, I don't really play, my my main sport playing is football. Like I I love playing football, and I play football every week. Um, and I play much more football than I play around there. However, I really, really like organizing things and seeing stuff come together. Um, and you know, the world championship is a great example of this, seeing things come together, um, and just making people happy, making people happy through events, like seeing when we put on a national championships and there's, you know, hundred people all playing, all having a good time. I just stand back and go that's great i'm so happy that this is you know that we as a team at british around that we've been able to to make this happen like that's what those are the kind of feelings that excite me and what i get excited about and and yep. you know running the world championship is, is just another example of where hopefully come you know i'm sure i'll be very busy but come friday or saturday afternoon when things are really in the swing of it i'll be able to stand back and go look i am i'm you know th- this is what all the hard work was for um and yeah i i just love this kind of organizational um organizational side of it and but that being said whilst i'm really grateful that i'm able to be in this position i wouldn't be here without the support of of um you know the the wider british round net team 
um, because I, I put hours in, but so so does everyone else on the team. And they're, you know, they're, as you say, there's so many people um, in the British Roundnet team and, and obviously across NGBs, across Europe and outside of Europe that are putting in so much time to make their events in their local country happen. And so, yeah, just big props to everyone who's getting involved and and you know as i say with sponsorships on the horizon hopefully you know in the future the main aim is to start getting people paid for their roles within within our national national governing body even if if it's on like a part-time basis just to try and um really encourage um people to get involved with the organizational side of the sport because as you say mm-hmm. loads of people love playing it um but it's much harder um, and much more difficult to try and find those people that give up that time to to get involved in the organizational side of it so hopefully we'll be able to motivate some more people to come and join us at british Roundnet um with paid roles or part-time paid roles in the future um but yeah i love it man and, and it's a, it's an absolute pleasure to be able to put on and help be you know a small part of of Roundnet growing in in britain and and yeah in in europe as well in the world yeah yeah well all right i wasn't gonna go <laughs> no no that's perfect uh so no a good nice way to end it off um jack thank you so much for coming on uh hopefully again you can watch the world championship take that step back with a little tear in your eye maybe as not as many as you yeah. did when you uh got the application of the bid saying yeah. yes no in public anyway um and yeah no we'll uh i'm sure we're gonna chat anyway over the over the coming weeks and months probably not on this podcast but uh yeah no. keep in touch okay. thank you again for coming on man no, my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me and uh, in, uh, enjoy your class. Uh-huh.